0: So how do you describe that first time that you went and had a 16-hour trip like that?
1: Yeah, it was uh, horrible. It's terrifying. It was probably the most extreme experience. It is the most extreme experience I've ever had. Out-of-body experiences aren't normal. My mind is racing, chaotic. I'm in a river of fire. I can feel it. There's dead people in this river of fire, and it's just horrible. And You're just getting beaten down, beaten down. That's Porter. He's a very different man today to the lost
0: boy he used to be. Porter's had a colourful life, to put it mildly, finding himself stuck on a lonely, confusing path from a young age. It led him to live under a dark cloud of drug abuse and chronic depression for a decade, spurred by crippling low self-esteem. His quest to understand himself took him halfway across the world to Peru, where his experiences deep in the jungle would leave him forever changed. Now in his mid-30s, Porter spends his days building custom Harley-Davidson's and living the kind of life he never thought possible. A fulfilled one. Welcome to Young Blood, the award-winning volunteer podcast dedicated to young men's mental health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is a platform for everyday men to share lived experience stories and show that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Suicide is the number one killer of young people and changing that starts with speaking up. So let's do it. The Blood Men's Mental Health Podcast is a volunteer community service and we rely on community support to bring this show to you. This episode is sponsored by Ski for Life, a charity committed to promoting wellbeing and suicide prevention. They've been running their annual ski relay on South Australia's Murray River for more than a decade, raising money to support community mental health initiatives. You can find out more about their cause at skiforlife.com.au trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14.
1: Well, you didn't have much guidance as a kid. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so my father from a very early age was raised in Africa um, in a war family, a very remote Africa, not not South Africa. Um, as a result of that, he had a fairly strict and, and particular upbringing. A lot of a great skill set, but probably didn't translate into parenting too well. My mum was tucked away in England. Uh, she had her own experience with domestic violence and whatnot as a as a young girl, which wasn't nice. Did your dad push that parenting style onto you? He didn't push it, but it was more so just a lack of understanding, I think, of, of what parenting took. And, I mean, we're talking early 90s. I'm, I assume there probably wasn't a lot of information out there. Or support for people so i was just learning on the fly you know i learned fire was hot by putting my hand in the campfire and getting burnt so they weren't so. spending the time and there wasn't the affection there there was i was loved but it was just i wasn't guided i never got taught you know you know fast forward i was later in life we've done a lot of fishing throughout my lifetime whatever tying fishing rigs and i asked my dad you know can you teach me and he said what do you mean you haven't learned you've been watching me do this for 25 years And I think, yeah, that's right. You haven't taught me. I've been watching you. That doesn't mean I fucking learned. Mm. So that was the general feel of my parenting. Around food, I was never taught boundaries. I could eat what I wanted. And then I gained a lot of weight, which leads obviously into into bullying. And and that was kind of the start, as I reflect back, into what sort of developed my mental health into a poor state. So what did it
0: do for your development in general, just not having someone say hey this is how you do this and this is what this means and just those those
1: basics it gave me a lack of the basic understandings of how I should be because I never got taught how to control my emotions how to share my emotions how to communicate properly how to have a level of understanding of control of what's right or wrong I think I'm just lucky I didn't go the wrong way you know I wasn't a violent person or anything like this I'm more Struggled with the expressing of my positive emotions, you know, especially towards girls when I had a crush. I wasn't like passing notes or having a kiss behind the shelter shed. I was drying out roses and and folding them into like poetic Shakespearean love notes. So when she opened them, they'd drop onto the table and it'd be like this: "I've wooed you." And Dude, that, that, that doesn't is... work when you're in primary school, bro. <laughs> that's some,
0: that's some creative romance, though.
1: Yeah, that's just how I felt. I just how I felt. So I thought you just express it. Which and that's not you got to have some kind of filter. You gotta read the room, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't okay. just be coming this, on a bit too strong.
0: Yeah. Beautiful like, concept though, yeah.
1: man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, I know, yeah.
0: Negan. <laughs> oh, I still remember
1: the name. I remember all maybe of, a man. bit intense when you're like ten or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, it's too much, man. Like, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I didn't understand, I just took it to heart. It hurts, rejection. Mm. Then you don't know how to deal with that. No
0: one's taught me about that. Uh, what's so. your memory of how you felt? inside as a kid and
1: just sort of how you related to yourself? I was a happy kid. I was happy with who I was until I started experiencing people telling me that's not how you should be or getting bullied for something or seeing adverse responses from people. And I thought how I was coming across was normal. And then I started to see why aren't people responding positively to this? You know, so... It was difficult, uh-huh. and you didn't
0: un- you didn't understand why, and you didn't understand how to be a different way. So then you had no. that alienation.
1: And I didn't understand. I could ask. I didn't understand. I could ask for help. And uh, my teachers, parents, you know, friends, parents. No one had ever said anything or any input. So, and you
0: think it would have been pretty obvious that definitely you were lost like back, that. You know, why? Yeah. Why do you
1: think no one? No one stepped in. I don't. To be honest, I don't know. I just think they probably just don't know themselves. Um, you know, when you get to that age and you finally see your parents as people, you learn that they're not this incredible you know, unit that know everything. They're just people that have they're just figuring their way through life as well. I feel like that's probably the majority of adults. And you felt like you couldn't rely on them. I didn't even know what that would mean at, at those ages. Yeah, I just always relied on myself naturally just as like instinct it's almost like an instinct thing and those feelings led into self-harm when you were young yeah so i was getting bullied a lot you know not fitting in my friends you know obviously being overweight i wasn't fast so they'd walk past me until i'd try to hang out with them they'd run away that Mm. sort of stuff you know it's just like kids stuff schoolyard stuff but Mm. then this becomes upsetting and then it got to the point where i just didn't want to be excluded so I used to go to the basketball courts, Ashville, and I would jump onto the ground. So I'd hit my knees, get cuts, Mm -hmm. go to the sick bay and get to go home. And still no one would ask or say, you know, this is abnormal behavior. What was the feeling that was driving that? Just sadness, man. Yeah. Just unacceptance, sadness. Why, why do, why is this happening? It's just like that unknown, yeah. Who, who am I? Why? Did, did you want to hurt yourself, or did you just want to get away? No, not. I just wanted to get away, man. I just wanted to go home. It was safe, you know. Right. I was, I had a, you know, skateboard and stuff like that, entertain myself, go play down the creek, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I guess the safety net, yeah.
0: And how did all of this progress once you got into teenage years? Just much of the
1: same, but by that point, I'd developed enough that I had a bit of a quick wit, so. My defense mechanism was if someone was bullying me, I could generally take him down a peg pretty quickly, and then that kind of led me to form friendships with like, cooler people, but I always knew I'm, I'm still on the outskirts of that. So I knew I was just clinging on to some sort of social group, but there still wasn't the acceptance. It was, yeah. Yeah. Defense mechanisms. He was probably the best one. Those, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, how did you
0: see your life going forward? Where, what do you think was going to be in store for
1: you? I just didn't know, man. I thought it was going to be all right. Again, still just not having that realization that there was something wrong. And you just keep going until you get that wake up call and, and realize, I've, I fucking need to change. Yeah, there is something not right here. Definitely. So, when you look back on
0: your teenage years, early 20s, can you see now that you were depressed then
1: or was that later? Definitely around, yeah, 18 onwards, I really started to notice it because that's when I started being able to bring it up a bit more with people and, and then them being like, nah, I don't even know what you're talking about. So, what, were you, what were you bringing up and what, in what context? i would just be like, hey, you know, do you ever feel, you know, sad about um, how you feel or just down? And that's no. What are you talking about? And especially in my late 20s when it was getting particularly bad, some of my friends were in tears when they heard how I was feeling. They just couldn't handle it. So then I was like, don't talk about this. Mm. You know, was, but don't, there's obviously something really not right here because this person's crying. Mm. And so you uh, just felt like you were triggering very, people and triggering, yeah. bringing the mood down. And yeah, it was just like, well, there obviously, it's like a validation, like there is a problem here because now you're crying and you're someone. You know, we're talking 20, 27, 28-year-old men. I had older friends and they were just so upset. Why why were they crying, do you think? I think because I was sort of looked at as the life of the party because I did have a bit of a humour about me and whatnot and always... Defence. That always came out, you know. I was always, like, happy on the surface. It was just when I drilled down into the internal and then when I wanted to bring that up and talk about it because we're in you know, a safe setting, we would be using drugs or whatever, you know, you can talk a bit more easier. And then, yeah, I'd bring it up and it was just like, no. Nah. Some nah, people wanted you there. to be
0: that that mask, that surface yeah. level version of you, but yeah. the other version, the real version, Didn't want to go into scared it. them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it, definitely. Hmm. And that's not friendship. That's not friendship. Okay. In my opinion. So do you, do you feel like they, they did care about you, but they weren't at a place of emotional maturity to be able to handle it? Yeah, or- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I left all of that behind sort of based on those things. I started realizing if I wasn't going out, the majority of the group wouldn't go out. Looking around what we were doing, going to, you know, pubs and clubs. I'm 27-ish. And I could just see by that point, my friends were, yeah early 30s as well, around there. And I just thought, I'm going to be doing this forever. I don't want to be doing this when I'm 40, not like this. So you felt like, like
0: you were stuck on repeat?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's like, there's got to be more. What's next? What am I doing? Mm. What am I doing?
0: What were you doing during the week for work and stuff through your 20s?
1: I was an electrician, which was great. Yeah, it was good at the time. I never really put any thought into what I wanted to do as a career, which affected me later on in life. Um, But yeah, work was good. Yeah.
0: Did you ever make any attempts at self-improvement back then? Or did you still have that feeling inside of like, I I want to be different? Or did you just
1: deny it to yourself? I didn't think that I needed self improvement. I wouldn't have known what that meant. You know, I didn't know what, what a gym was until I was twenty four. I knew the word, but I didn't actually really know the concept. And it was actually one of my old friends, he pushed me to start lifting weights. We lifted some weights in the backyard and got that feeling of the muscles full of blood and that good feeling yeah, and then that's how dolphins. I started my um my weight loss journey and I lost thirty six kilos in six months. But I just didn't even give a consideration to the concept of a gym uh-huh. in all those years I could have playing sport no nah, wasn't nah, never. so when you did do that and you did lose that weight did your self-esteem change at all or how did you feel it did but again this led to a negative impact because now I was getting attention from girls a lot more predominantly girls that I've known for a little a little bit of time and it was hey you know you're looking good this that and the other you know do you want to go get a drink and I'm like you've known me for years mm. and now I lose a bit of weight and you see value in me. So I got a bit bitter about that. And then my father, in the peak of my weight loss, pulled me aside one day and he goes, yeah, that's good, Ben. You know, we always knew you'd figure it out. And I said, what the fuck do you mean you knew I'd figure it out? How long have you known? How long have you been thinking I need to figure something out? Why couldn't you have communicated that to me and, and maybe started me, you know, a few years before? And then you give me that? Yeah. So well, obviously he thought it was a positive maybe. thing to say. Yeah. It's not. You just yeah. kept that to yourself. Yeah. Rather damage my feelings early, you're still my father. Mm. I would have figured it out. I still love you. Have you ever so. been able to bring that up with him? No, nah, I, I just wouldn't. I think now he's softened a lot in his old age. He's 75, and I think that it would, it would probably upset him. And I honestly don't believe it's malicious at all. It's, it's just the result of his upbringing. Yeah. So you just have to accept those things and, and take it in your stride, I, I believe. And adjust how you see the relationship in the family unit and it's
0: probably the case that the way he raised you and what you got was better than what he got yeah. even though yeah it wasn't great what you got
1: that's right you can't blame someone for their lived experience all you can do is understand it and then you have a choice whether to accept it wholly or you know portions of it or whatnot you, you can't put that back on someone regardless so are you
0: able to forgive him
1: yeah i do yeah yeah absolutely and does that mean yeah. you guys can connect now yeah, we connect in a weird way, man. When we hang out, we just we're just quiet and we'll have a beer, talk some general chit chat. It's not like nothing crazy. He's he's uh-huh. very stoic. Uh uh-huh. You know, when he speaks, he's someone you listen to. So yeah, it's different compared to my brother. They're like chatterboxes. Right. right. <laughs> different relationship.
0: Yeah. So. But he's not the kind of person that you can ever go there with.
1: That's sort of no, nah, not particularly. He's good. Um, he's always been there for me when when I've had a, a serious life problem that's sort of business related or decision making. He gives very good advice. But he feels like realms, he can help. I, I wouldn't go to him particularly for mental health advice. Yeah, he did give me one gem in my in a very bad breakup. Right, what was that? Um, so. When I went for ayahuasca, I met, you know, like the love of my life and that trip. It was all very spiritual, incredibly intense relationship. Came to an end four years later, learned a lot of lessons from that. But when I left, I was in Melbourne at the time, came back to Adelaide. It was so unbelievably painful. I just put a swag in the living room next to the dog's bed. I just just couldn't get up. I was just wounded, you know. Mum would bring me water and food and I just laid there. Eventually I got up and I was able to be mobile again, but I couldn't breathe properly. I was hunched over and I was having a bit of a moment in, the, in a chair, sitting at home, and he just looks at me and he goes, mate, you just got to fucking let it go. You like, you just got to get over this. And I just remember thinking, like, oh, it's so harsh. That is so harsh. That's the last thing I need to hear. And then he uh, says to me, no, you know, you got to think of it like this. You're carrying around a suitcase of rocks right now. He goes, you need to find a tree in your mind and put that suitcase of rocks down underneath it and just keep walking. You can come back, you know where the tree is, and you can open the suitcase up if you want, and you can revisit it all, but you have to leave it there. He said, this is not going to be good for you if you can't do that. And that's that's pretty good advice. It's pretty poetic for a man who doesn't talk about his feelings. And that's the thing. When he comes out with something like that, he's got it in him, Mm. but he just shares it. Very reserved, very reserved man. But that's that was that was good. That's when I realised, like, maybe I have had a, too much of a harsh opinion of him mm. as an adult man.
0: Well, I think that's common. As we age, we are able to reflect and yeah. especially on those characters in our life and have more empathy. Yeah, hopefully for for them and where they came from. And then yeah. you have a softening yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he he lived a unique life. It's a he's lived a beautiful life. Mm. So. Yeah. Definitely deserves some Interesting
0: stuff. So just to go back, how did your drug use start and how did that change you and things? Yeah,
1: so with not feeling like I fit in and just doing what everyone does, going out and whatnot, started using a lot of drugs, particularly ecstasy and meth, funnily enough. Predominantly started using more meth and that was good for me because it made me be able to talk and communicate. So obviously the pressure of feeling different and like I didn't fit in. What meth would do for me is allow me to sustain conversations at a base level with people and come across like just normal. I could get through it, get through a whole weekend of hanging out and being normal, quote unquote. So how did you feel in those environments without it? Quiet, reserved, tucked away in the corner, observing, would never go on a dance floor ever in a million years. I just not reserved watching, interpreting what's happening around me. Short answers, and meth changed, reversed all of that. Mm. So, but then obviously the come down would lead to five days of being in the hole and consuming a lot of media and reading a lot of things that are super negative and just feeding into that depression. So the the balance is off massively. Let alone when I thought the balance was good, I'm still just not being me anyway. Double edged sword.
0: Yeah. Well, just you're probably compounds. you're probably depressed anyway. And then yeah. you're throwing gasoline on a fire yeah. by doing one of the most destructive drugs known to man yeah. that totally exactly. fries your brain and leaves you with no serotonin, and then you yeah you, man right. yeah,
1: so it's the really just
0: pushing a rock uphill with that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. did so, you Sisyphus did you think was it was it? your
1: friend No, not at all, I don't have an addictive personality. I was never addicted, could stop it, and yeah, it was just the we're going out on the weekend, better get this, and we we're all doing it uh yeah just got lucky to dodge that bullet thank goodness Mm.
0: but (laughs) you carried on that behavior of using that on weekends for a long time right yeah nearly 10 years nearly 10 years which i suppose you could say is is an addiction so how do you look at but then you weren't going on and using it during the week which as i said to you off camera it seems to be pretty rare that people can use meth in particular and not end up being someone who's an everyday user Yeah, everyone's different. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's interesting because I get that it gave you some positive feelings that made you feel the way that you wanted to feel. Mm. But then if you were to look at what it took from you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not worth it. No. Could have been doing a million other things. Could have been going to the gym more. Could have been going to therapy. So how do you look at that decade of your life? It was a lot of change. A lot of change. A lot of, uh, it was chaotic. A lot of of wasted time, a lot of wasted money. This is one of the biggest things I try to talk to people about now is, you know, your time is precious. Everyone knows that now, but those 20s, in your 20s, fuck, man. Don't do what I did and waste 10 years not fitting in and not addressing it and, and doing that for 10 years. Didn't have a cent to my name. Didn't travel, you know. What a waste of time. What do I have for it now? Nothing. I got this story. Do you think underneath that was you didn't love yourself, didn't really value your life? It's not so much my life. I just don't think I, I valued me. I didn't realize the value of me, which I've been lucky enough now to come to realize through my experiences in South South America. Like, I have a lot of value. And it's just, you don't need to be valuable for everyone. I've come to learn. And now I'm actually quite reserved with who I let in my friendship group is extremely small. Now I um, I know I trust my judgement enough when I interact with someone to know I should give this person a bit more of myself or this is not not for me.
0: Very wise. Yeah. Tell us about the rock bottom that you hit before you started looking for mm. an answer.
1: Yeah, so this was a bad one. I was in the peak of my depression, still doing what I was doing and I'd have high days, low days. The high days weren't particularly high but you know, functional, and then uh, one morning it was a spring morning. I remember it crystal clear, man. I just woke up and I had suicidal thoughts, and I, I knew that wasn't me. It was concerning, and I was like, "I'm just, I'm just low. This is gonna pass." Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next week, same thing. The whole time that I'm aware, like I don't want to end my life. That's the last thing I want to do. But I'm still having these thoughts and these feelings, and I just knew this is this is a massive issue, and then that just wore me down over time. And uh, it's probably about three months of that. I didn't say anything to anyone because I had already experienced, as we said, you know, even just bringing up basic emotions. So this, you know, my opinion was, fuck therapy, fuck the doctor, you know, fuck meds, small mind, ignorant. Had you ever tried to access therapy or nah. you no? Know, anything? I, I, I deemed it as weak. Why? I don't know, man. I look back on that, and I have pondered on this a bit, and I just—I don't know why I thought that. To be honest, because you'd
0: never seen any other examples of never had any using example
1: it. set, I guess. But I just thought, you know, what can you do for me that I can't do for myself? But in actual fact, I'm not doing anything for myself. I've got depression, and I've got suicidal thoughts. Yeah. So, yeah, just just probably yeah, just not considering it rationally. And then
0: feeling like you couldn't tell anyone about it because they're just going to throw it back in your face. Yeah, well, not that. And Especially then it's just that. in your head. Yeah. And we talk about how that's such a dangerous place to be because you really give mm. life to those thoughts. Oh, man. And just Circles drives you mad trouble. not being able to. Because I think when you don't speak it out, you don't write it down, does just that domino effect where it builds and builds and builds and that's yeah. where it goes to really scary places.
1: Yeah, because you get that base level thought, then you mull that over a million times a second, and then you build on that you build on that, and then all of a sudden the original thought isn't even the problem anymore because you've just changed, you've got this maze in your head now.
0: And you create this you're, narrative yeah. without yeah. knowing it, and then that yeah, becomes correct. reality because it manifests, and there's yeah. a self-fulfilling prophecy where yeah. you're saying, oh, Absolutely. well, I feel like this, so that, that means this, and that means, means I must be this way, and then you're obsessively thinking about it before you know yeah.
1: that's happening. You're self-validating your own problem. Yeah, There's no out, external no. Well, have you considered this? Let's drill into it. There's Let's no other perspectives. Oh, yeah, there's no perspectives. You can't. There's no
0: trap. There's no moment of slapping them across the face. No. Hey,
1: no. have you thought about it Not this way? Not even an inkling of a different thought. Yeah, There's no one even suggesting anything. You're just in your own head making your own decision.
0: It's important to look after our mental health, just like our physical health. And AG1 is the perfect supplement to help take care of both. Just one daily scoop of AG1 covers all your nutritional bases with 75 vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, adaptogens, greens blend, and whole food ingredients. You can count on this tasty mix to boost your energy, increase mental clarity, help you get better sleep, improve digestion, and pep up your immune system. Plus, it's super simple to make part of your morning routine, all for the price of a coffee. You may know producing this podcast is all volunteer, and I have to pay for studio time and editing to keep bringing you these episodes. Every dollar we make from this partnership will go towards helping to cover production costs, so it's an awesome way to support your health and contribute to young men's mental health all in one. If you're looking for a simpler and cost effective supplement routine, AG1 is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash youngblood. That's drinkag1.com youngblood. Check it out. Could you do anything while you were suicidal like that? Yeah, I
1: was still just going to the gym, you know, going to work. Just going through normal, still going out, still enjoying the music scene, which I loved and and doing all that. I just had this thing dwelling in the back. Mm -hmm. And then that ultimately led me to, you know, I wrote the note, stuck it on the shed. I still have it to this day. Um, It says, dad, um, don't open the shed, call the ambulance. I love you. But my next memory is it was nighttime. I was in bed and I was reading about ayahuasca, a word I'd never heard. I don't even know how I would have got to that on my phone that um, same night that night yeah that night and it was early it would have been about 11 a.m i went into the shed and i just it's just a, a block of blank mm. why do yeah. you still have the note sentimental it's a reminder it's a reminder how do you Don't feel about fucking it fucking do that ever again <laughs> you know what i mean Ah, oh, yeah it's sad to look at man it's it is sad because I'm not that person, but I was there. I was there, and that's that's the thing with with mental health. It doesn't matter who you are or who you think someone is; they can be there, man. And you you just might not know. That's why you know you do. You need to ask your loved ones, people that are close to you, how are you going. That's a good question to ask.
0: What does it make you think now? The fact that you were there.
1: I don't know, man. Lucky to be alive. It's I don't know. It's does dead. it seem absurd to you now? it does yeah yeah absolutely yeah mm. so it's not it's not a place you should be in a
0: good friend of mine was in that spot some years ago yeah and when i speak to him about it now he said the craziest thing for me for him is how much he normalized that suicidality and how much he normalized thinking about taking his, uh, his life yeah. and now that he's living a happy life he looks back on that and he's like what the fuck?
1: Yeah. it gave me the appreciation of people that do go through this and are going through it because what got me it wasn't the thoughts it was the being worn out from the thoughts i, I didn't want to have that anymore i'm tired man couldn't get a break from i don't it. want to carry this anymore so then it's like well this is an option because mm. how else am i going to stop it it wasn't this suicidal thoughts that would have made me do it it was there's just the exhaustion and i could see on people how i was affecting people just being in the same room as them and you just like you start to feel more and no more like a burden. it's been three months man it's been three how much long is this going to go for yeah so yeah just yep. having a particularly low day and
0: <laughs> was that oh, glad you didn't make that decision yeah me too yeah Thank you. <laughs> so you started researching ayahuasca and yep. then you just found out about DMT and you went down this this whole other road. Yeah. So just before we jump into that, I'll just preface this by saying, on this show, we're not encouraging anyone to go out and do mind bending psychedelics. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. no doubt that there are potential harms to that, and they're not yeah. for everyone. Um, so yeah, we're we're not advocating for people no, to go out not. and do no. that stuff because no. it should be seriously considered before doing anything like that. Uh, but that said. They have been very transformative in a positive way for a lot of people, and there's more and more science being done on the potential benefits of it. But you're just talking about your experience. experience, So that said, what was your experience (laughs) with uh, DMT?
1: I started reading a few books just off the top of my head. DMT, The Spirit Molecule by Rick Strassman and uh, The Teachings of Don Juan. Great books. Very in-depth, especially The Spirit Molecule. That's at like clinical level stuff. And just Um, for people who
0: don't know, DMT is naturally produced in the body, but mm -hmm. at higher doses is an incredibly potent psychedelic.
1: Yeah, correct. Um, Produced by the pineal gland. So yeah, I started reading a bit of of stuff on this. It's extremely in-depth. A lot of it didn't make a lot of sense. The teachings of Don Juan was a bit more spiritual and... Talking about his experiences using these master plants, which is what we call the category of these these particular plants where they come from these compounds, and uh, the stories are just yeah they're right out there. All the other information I read on the internet was turned out not to be accurate. You know, talking with aliens and this that and the other. So I eventually I'd made the decision I was going. I needed to find someone to take me. I'd found that person, emailed them period of time had passed, he'd responded, yep, pay this money, book these flights, did that. And then uh, one day I thought, well, I should probably try to get some DMT um, to see if I can even handle that because ayahuasca is, is a much longer experience. You know, 16 hours was my first trip compared to smoking DMT, which is about 10, 15 minutes. Did the extraction at home, sat down that night, ingested it, gone. Hyperspace. It was incredible. It's terrifying. <laughs> and uh, I was listening to my favorite band at the time, and I could see the mathematics of the music, and I felt like he was singing purposefully to me, and it was a beautiful experience. And then I saw the, you know, the DMT elves came to me, as, as I was saying to you earlier, <laughs> and you know, he shows me this card, and it has almost like a on it, expecting me to know what it is. I sort of shook my head. Another one shook my head. Another one starts getting a bit disgruntled and then eventually throws the cards into the air and off he goes. And I'm just in this kaleidoscope now of geometric beautifulness. So it sounds sort of like the stereotypical experience of DMT because people do it talk is. about meeting the
0: elves and the patterns yeah. and everything. So when you came back to earth from that, how did it leave
1: you feeling? Uh, validated. Uh, everything I'd been reading was real I was definitely doing the right thing more than ever. I was, I was tremendously excited to get to South America because I just experienced everything I'd written about and I was reading about it. Um, you know, on one side, it was a person's experience, you know, in, in Mexico. And on the other side, it was a clinical level um, genius. And I just experienced the combination of that in my lounge room. So it was extremely validating. I just knew I was doing the right thing, which then gave me my first real sense of relief. I was happy. I was I was really genuinely excited. Uh, I knew it was right. Yeah. And what happened in the jungle? The jungle, man, it's a beautiful place. It's intense. Um, I was very sick at the time. I had a stomach bug. I had a lot of really strange experiences with the people that were were in there. You know, I had the frog venom put in my blood, known as sapo or cambo, and the, all those sorts of experiences. But then the ayahuasca um, for me was the one. Um, that yeah really broke my depression. Uh, one night, yeah. so you had to find a, a shaman online first, and then go over there. Um, so the thing with ayahuasca is there's a lot of retreats you can go to. They're heavily westernised, very comfortable. You know, I didn't want any of that. I wanted raw. That's you know, I spent a lot of time in the outback. You know, and the
0: first time this was like ten years ago. Yeah, I was 27. So it wasn't yeah. quite so mainstream.
1: Yeah, yet. no, no, it wasn't. It's out there a lot more now, um, which is good and bad. But it, it is what it is. Um, So I looked for the most bare-bones, authentic thing I could find, which happened to be a a man by the name of Peter Gorman. He wrote for High Times Magazine. He was from New York, lives in Texas, employed by the American Museum of Natural History to study a few of these things. He spent his life in the Amazon. So I found his email online and emailed him directly. And so he was the person that that took me, and he had his oh, whole wow. setup and how he does it and he he takes people people and groups in and that that's what I did. That's how I got in there and and was all right. So I did have a level of security, you know meeting a we talking with a Western person who had a lot of knowledge. I was guided the whole way, I was never in front of experiences that could have gotten out of control. It was as safe as it it could have been. so how do you describe that? first time that you
0: went and had a 16-hour trip like that?
1: Yeah, it was uh, horrible. It's terrifying. It was probably the most extreme experience. It is the most extreme experience I've ever had. And, uh, you know, out-of-body experiences aren't normal. The body doesn't know. The mind doesn't know. The first time you really have it, it's obviously fucking terrifying. And for me, like, it comes on slow, you get into it, and then when I was into it, My mind is racing chaotic, extreme chaotic thoughts. I'm in a river of fire. I can feel it. I feel like my skin's burning. There's dead people in this river of fire and it's just horrible. And you're just getting beaten down, beaten down. And then in the corner of my vision, and it's not like you can see, it's you're, you're tripping. You're out there. I can't feel my body, but I can feel like I feel pain. Very hard to describe gets to a point and then I can see this thing in the corner of my vision and I sort of glance at it and it's a it's a childhood memory and I recognize it and I had a fear of spiders terrified of spiders I'd freeze if there was one in this room I'd freeze sweat couldn't move someone would have to move the spider and uh it's it's a memory of me being scared by a, a spider nah no way I'm not going there I say okay no worries back into the river <laughs> and he's saying you've got no concept of time. So I feel like I'm there for eternity. Just beating me down. He just tries to show me again. And I look, nah. Third time around, it just left me there for so long. I was please show me that memory. I, I need to get out of here, man. Well, I'm getting, this is too much. <laughs> Bang. Childhood memory. I'm a kid in the Northern Territory and it's crystal clear, my memory of this event. It is perfectly clear. I roll over in my bed. There's a huntsman on the wall. I got a fright. I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He goes, no, 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 there's another one. Camping a few years later, something in my shoe. I'm curling my toes around all day. Eventually, we're in the car going to pick up some groceries. I take my shoe off, look in my shoe, huntsman. Scares the life out of me. Oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. And, no, no, there's one more. And um, it was walked into the bathroom, shut the door, huntsman on the wall, scared me. And it's like, these are the reasons you have a fear of spiders. And I was like, okay, no worries. And then for whatever reason, I sort of laid back and tilted my head. I'm looking out into the jungle and I can see these red orbs about the size of a dinner plate in the jungle. I'm sort of looking at them and thinking, this is a bit weird. And then uh, I sort of realized what I'm looking at is like a two-story tall spider in the jungle. And I was oh my God, this isn't good. And I look back and he's like, I know you see me. <laughs> and i'm like yep i'm trying not to look at it now and he's like and you know that i'm on the on the path that you've got to walk down after this is done to get to where you're sleeping and i was like yep and he goes well when you walk past me i'm going to take your soul and you're going to be stuck with me forever so you feel like the spider's saying this to you yeah he's talking to me right. this this trip spider is talking to me okay i'm like all right yep no worries this is he's being is pretty civil lying.
0: about it though He's being alright <laughs> with it. he's just
1: threatening to take my soul for all eternity. <laughs> I'm like, all right, how am I going to navigate this? And what I got taught in this level of psychedelic experience, you can be anything. You're in the spirit world. So if you're faced with a field of snakes, don't walk through them. Imagine you're a giant and step over it. And it goes like a helium balloon. What? And just laughter. Uncontrollable gut laughter. I mean, I'm talking, it felt like a long time laughing uncontrollably. And then once that was sort of fading off, back into the river. Right, and then just on on repeat, on repeat for the for lots of extremely personal segments of my life. And I was like, of course, I didn't want to be in the river. I'd learned that now, so anything that came up, I was in. So that was it was excellent advice. And I also got told by a street kid, "You here for ayahuasca? Yep. When it gets hard, don't fight it. Go for it." So then, once I realised the cycle I was in, in the river or facing a memory, I went with everyone I could. So it was just like. They say ayahuasca is a hundred years of therapy in one sitting. It's every memory into it. Let's unpack this. I'm open, and that that's that's that was the experience for me. So at the end of it, what were you left with? I just had an absolute understanding of my depression, where it came from. Uh, I was able to, you know, vomit it out. You know, you get the purge, mm. and I was left absolutely, one hundred percent revitalized and free absolutely free in my mind and in my heart to I just could do whatever I wanted I knew I could do anything I wanted there's no no limits to what I could do so where'd you go from there I went home I was in a rush to get home I couldn't wait to get back to to home and and to see everyone and start changing my life and it was it was almost the sense of urgency was un, unbearable almost so how long did the feeling last when you got back It's never left Never left. It's mellowed out a bit, that intense feeling, probably about four years. Um, so how do you describe what that feeling is compared to how you always felt before? Just understanding yourself, and um, it made me... Um, like, I struggled like, like, faith, to, um, like faith, or...? Not faith, I just knew I, I can't make a wrong decision. I, I know, I mean, I can. That's arrogant to say, I can't make a wrong decision. I can, and if it is wrong, it doesn't work out, I can move and adjust and make the next decision. That's, that's the trick. So you felt like you weren't stuck anymore. wasn't stuck. And if I did get stuck, I could identify it and then move on. Next thing.
0: So you'd been on this hamster wheel all this time, hating yep. it, but not knowing how to get off. And then it busted you out of that.
1: Yeah. So I struggled with feeling trapped in society. That was something that developed late in my depression. I started reading about, you know, the corporate world, taxes, you know, the banking system, these things, you know, people say these conspiracy theories. But what I started reading, what I started seeing was pretty real. So I felt trapped. One of the visions I had, which addressed that, which for me, this is the one that broke the depression, made me understand it. I was a seed in the center of the earth and I started crawling out through the earth and I popped up to where we are now. Buildings on fire, you know, zombies, skies on fire, lightning, horrible. And it's saying to me, this is how you feel. This is how you see the world you Feel trapped by the system, and this is what this is a visual representation of how you feel.
0: Yeah, so looking around like everything's the enemy, yeah,
1: it's like the apocalypse. I was seeing the apocalypse, pretty much is the easiest way to say it. And it starts saying to I me, mean, You know, there, there are a set of rules, you know, you don't just have free reign, that you, you just have to understand you're free to do what you like within those set of sets of rules, like the law, taxes, you can't change these things. So, just playing that in that rule set and you're free.
0: But you can choose to see the world differently. You, you
1: can choose to see. And I was like, oh yeah, and I start floating up into the sky and I push through the fire and the, the lightning bolts and it's nice sunshine. And I keep going and I, I hit the atmosphere and as i um, pushing on the atmosphere, trying to get through it. And just as I pop through and shoot into this beautiful, you know, flow of rainbow colors, it just says, yeah, always remember that you can, you're free within within the rule set. And that just gave me the understanding that I can do what I want with my life. But we all have rules we need to abide by. We're governed. You're not trapped. And did you keep going back to Peru? I did. So I'd uh, obviously met this girl and we'd fallen in love and done all that. She had all of her stuff she was working through. She didn't get the same that I got on the first go. She felt she had un, unresolved business. Mm. So we kept going back. Um, so you were more and going times, back. Going back for, for her. her. Yeah. yeah, but I would always drink in ceremony and whatnot. Mm. And then every time I did, it was the same message. Oh, you're back. We don't really, there's not really much we have for you. Mm. So I get a lot of nice things. You know, maybe a tune up here, change this, change that. Pleasant experience.
0: Is it a case of... You get the message, hang up hang the phone.
1: Hang up the phone. That's exactly what I got taught, those exact words. And then when I realised that, I was like, okay, no worries, sweet. I'm happy with that. And uh, it's only until recent times, my Pete, the man that took me, he's passed away. And now I feel the pull to go back to to work through that grief. But it's not like a overarching depression or anything like it was. It was like, yeah, I understand now I have something that I need to address and I'm going to i'm going to use that i have tried mushrooms to tap into that and i had a very very large dose to try to address it and it did give it a go and it's sort of the message that came through me was just amazon 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 just on repeat at the end of it for several hours i was like yeah okay no worries i gotta go back to the amazon so you really had that seemingly
0: incomprehensible experience where you broke through mm. and that was it after that yeah did, that it, was it. did it spur you on to other therapy other methods of
1: therapy uh, when my relationship started coming apart I then put myself in therapy I saw I, I saw the value of it and I did go um, unfortunately I didn't have a good experience in therapy because what I came to realize was and this is not to talk down on therapy or whatnot I think it's excellent especially if it is helping you. It gave me temporary relief. We would discuss how I felt. I would go away, a few days later I felt bad. I needed to go back to therapy. It was giving me coping mechanisms. I don't want to cope. I want to heal. I want to get past this. I don't want to be taught how to breathe through anxiety. I want to address the anxiety. So that's what I got from therapy. And I came to understand that real healing of trauma is when that comes up, um, whatever's bothering you and it doesn't feel good and it gives you that anxiety, you need to be so acutely aware of that moment, catch those thoughts and be like, hold on, now I'm going to let you in, I'm going to sit with you for a bit and when I've had enough, you've got to go away, you control it. You do that time and time again and eventually, you still, you can't erase your memory, you're always going to have these memories and thoughts and trauma and this, that and the other, but you can erase the emotional response. That's healing and that's that's what I started working on And that's what i would learned from therapy. But the Mm. actual therapy itself, I don't feel I got got much out of. Okay. Yeah, it's a fascinating perspective. Mm. Uh, How does all this connect to building Harleys? So I come back from the jungle, new lease on life, doing this, moved to Melbourne, changed my life, doing that, blah, blah, blah. And then I realized I never thought about what I wanted to do. No one taught me to think about what I wanted to do. My father told me, electrician or plumber, pick one. And his idea was you're always going to need water and you always need electricity moving forwards in the modern world. Smart. Safe bet. Like, logical. I'll be an electrician. But then I realized this is just money. So I tried to escape that by sort of climbing the ladder. I moved out of construction, went into mining, got into some high end um, areas. And each time I'd hit the ceiling, coming back to the same thoughts, so I keep climbing a bit higher, got out of the mine, started my own company. And then I feel like that was probably the peak, but still not fulfilled. And there's a there was a bike shop at the time here that was doing the best custom stuff around. I knew they needed someone so I went and uh, filled a toolbox up with tools and went there and told them I want to work here. And they're like, you know, no trade certificate, no experience at all. But they they gave me a shot miraculously and I was pretty much immediately put on to building motors and it worked, the motor turned on, and I, that's how I started my career in that. But the basis for wanting to do the Harleys is to progress it into social work. Social work is what I want to do. Harleys is a pathway into having a framework to build that upon. And explain that, because people wouldn't think that Harleys lead to social work. So. No, well, you know, when we're talking mental health, especially in terms of young people, it takes time. Yeah? Young people have had um, important people walk out on them. They test you. They need to know you're safe. You're not going to leave me. You know, they will will test you and try to break you to see are you in this or not. So it's going to take time. I would like to have a shop bike that we can work on over a long period of time, disassembling, rebuilding, teaching them skills that they can use real world. And the framework would be subtle in the sense that when they felt ready to share something or it just comes out of the blue. It's there and it can be implemented. It's very unintrusive. It's not clinical. And then just a light way of, you know, healing. And you've experienced that bikes are an outlet for men to have these kinds of conversations. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. The guys, um, the guys I deal with, they love their bikes. And as I said to you earlier on, you know, they love, love their bikes sometimes more than their family. It's, it's their relief. You know, that's their therapy. A lot of them are of the the same opinion that I was, you know, fuck therapy, this, that, and the other. And all you can do is understand that I'm not going to be able to talk this guy into going to therapy.
0: But when they I I can be the therapy. When they bring their bike in, though, they start talking about stuff that maybe you wouldn't have thought they would. No.
1: And that comes off the back of, as I was saying, when you get this judge of character, you know, you can say maybe a little bit more than, you know, the general chit-chat throw something out there and how it's responded to maybe they open up a bit and then i know all right i can share a bit of me for that relatability and then they open up i share my experience you share yours it's a natural exchange Mm.
0: so you love bikes anyway but you see it that's your door that's your your way into that connection
1: yeah yeah
0: it's a unique it's a unique idea man but it totally makes sense kind of reminds me of the barber like your old school barber yeah, yeah. like lo- blokes <laughs> in there end up talking about that sort of thing
1: yeah uh, still to this day
0: yeah yeah as it's, one example yeah it's a classic uh, <laughs> we love whenever we see those hypermasculine things or environments yeah being infused with that level of vulnerability because yeah, if man. we can do that there then That's we right. can change culture yeah and if a bloke that. like you can do that who looks like you and, and does what you do <laughs> yeah. and you're doing it then yeah. like there's no reason anyone else
1: can't so. yeah man lead by example yeah and you know what man that's all i needed I, i'm just trying to reverse engineer what i needed i needed someone there for me right mm. so i can i can now put out what i needed for someone else
0: that's how you learn that's how you that's develop what it's all about yeah. so not everyone should be doing psychedelics especially people who are predisposed to schizophrenia and uh, those kinds of conditions. And then not everyone wants to do psychedelics because Mm. the idea, frankly, freaks them out, which is fair enough. Some Mm. of the stuff you described just there is pretty (laughs) crazy and terrifying. And some people are sort of amenable to that idea. Potentially, plenty of people would say, why the fuck would I want to do that? Yeah, a lot of people. So people who (laughs) want to transform their lives and might have been in a similar spot to where you were and they want to become a lot more positive like you, but they don't want to go and do the drugs. What would you say to them? Can you say anything to them?
1: Learn how to make decisions because more than likely you're caught up in your head and you're not able to make decisions for fear of it not being the right one or perhaps failure or being judged. You need to come to understand that if you've got something that's bothering you and whatnot and you do bring it up with someone like I used to and it's received negatively, you've just brought it up with the wrong person and that's fine. Go to the next one and find the, the one that works Yeah, and don't be afraid to get something wrong. It's not the end of the world, but it is the end of the world. If you just sit and let the ship fester, like just don't be afraid to move on it, have yeah. the confidence. You may think it's silly or whatever, who fucking cares? Someone will listen. You got to take action. Yeah. You have to take action. Otherwise you just waste your time and your life and then when you do get through it, hopefully you will then have that reflection where you look at the time you wasted just as I did. And it's for what, for lack of being able to make a choice to speak and ask for help.
0: No. You're not wasting any more time though.
1: No, no, it's not enough left. <laughs> it's got to get going. And yeah. it takes a process, bro. You know, you've got to commit to it. You've got to commit to yourself. You can't just click your fingers and be good, you know, and you just take as much time as you need, but you've got to open up those channels of communication with wherever you find it. Good advice. Have you made peace with that sad, lost little boy that you were? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I love him. It put me here in the seat talking to you. It gave me the story I've got now. And uh, I'm still that person just without the sadness. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Wicked, man. Hell of a story. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) That's it for this episode. If you like what we're all about, support us by following Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Every podcast episode is recorded in professional quality video and they're all up on our Young Blood Men's Mental Health YouTube channel. So please show some love and subscribe. A big thanks to our local business supporters, Pro Realty Property Consultants and Herd Financial. You can find everything there is to know about the podcast at youngbloodmensmentalhealth.com. And most importantly, please share these stories with anyone in your life who needs to know they're not alone. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.